what I want to title this message is the sun in Aries. You might wonder what that is, but Aries is the sign of a constellation that we've been talking about. It's the sign of the ram. The word Aries is the Latin word for ram. As a matter of fact, that logo or that symbol up there might look familiar to you, and that's because that is the same symbol that Dodge uses on their pickup trucks. Okay, and there's even a such thing, I looked on uh, their website, and they actually have or either had a vehicle called the Dodge Aries, believe it or not, A-R-I-E-S. So this is where they get that symbol from. To open up, let me quote this scripture from Psalm chapter 8, verse 3. It says, When I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place. And I've been doing that a lot lately. Not only by going outside at night and doing it, but also by studying about the heavens and the moon and the stars and obtaining different programs that we have such a blessing of being able to have in this day and time with technology as it has advanced in the year that we live. We're living in a, an age of technology. Knowledge is definitely increasing. Uh, David said this when he looked at the heavens and the moon and the stars. Then he looked at himself and other people around him. He said, what am I? Who am I? What is man that you're mindful of me? You know, that's really awesome when I see the moon and the stars and everything that they're, they're doing up there and, and how they keep time. It's just unbelievable. So praise Yahweh for the heavens. I think after this message, hopefully, you'll be even more appreciative of the heavens of Yahweh. So we've discussed the stars in the scriptures, and we've discussed the certain names of star formations, constellations in the zodiac. We found that those are not bad things, but those are good things. Those are wonderful things. We've even discussed on the new moon last week something called the ecliptic and went into detail about the zodiac and even went into some numerology in the scriptures. I normally don't teach on things like that. I like to have things that are more, I guess, concrete in my mind. But sometimes Yahweh gives us different pieces to the puzzle. And we have to put those pieces together to make a complete puzzle. And that's what I want to do in this sermon. We've discussed many other things in between all of these. Last Sabbath, we discussed the relationship of the zodiac with the seasons of the year. And I want you to remember the quotes that I gave from Philo, who is a Judahite historian, concerning the three signs of the zodiac being assigned to each season of the year. Okay, he said that there were four seasons of the year, Three signs of the zodiac assigned to each season of the year. And Philo, in his Q&A on Exodus, stated that under the spring season, you had the three signs, Aries, which is the one we'll center on today, primarily. But you had Aries, Taurus, and Gemini. Then in summer, you had Cancer, Leo, and Virgo. And then autumn, you had Libra. Along with Libra, you had Scorpio and Sagittarius. And then in the winter season, you had Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. And Philo actually named these. I gave the quote last week. I think it was page 125 of my book on the Q&A on Exodus that Philo wrote. Now, uh, this is one of the videos that I wanted to show you last week. But what this is is the ecliptic that I talked about last week. And that little uh, bright light uh, right there, that little light right there is representative of the sun and then this line right here is the ecliptic, and this is going to begin at what's called the autumnal or the fall equinox. And when I hit on it, it should go. Yeah, there we go. And you see how that the sun, this is in fast forward motion, 
but it's traveling on this ecliptic. This is what some people call the apparent path of the sun or the actual path of the sun. And it's going through these various constellations in the heavens and producing seasons. And there's three of these constellations assigned to each of those seasons. So there are some gray areas on this subject. I will share with you how I believe some of these pieces fit together. Genesis 1, 14 through 18 gives us a foundation on which to build. It's the foundational text for the calendar. It really is. Genesis 1. That's where you need to start with anybody that you explain these things to. Is Have you read Genesis 1, 14 through 18, where on the fourth day Yahweh appointed or made, King James Version, these great lights in the heavens, the sun, the moon, and the stars. They're all important. They all play their part. Okay? Scripture speaks volumes about the stars. I think we've seen that in the past three lessons. But all the particulars are not as clear. There are some black and white portions. There are some things that are very concrete. But sometimes the particulars, we have to kind of connect the dots. And so I'm going to do a little bit of speculating today. I think it's educated speculation. I'm not just making stuff up out of thin air. It's through the studies that I've done. And hopefully you'll at least see how I've connected the dots in my studies. Uh, the first thing we're going to look at is a quote from a man by the name of Josephus. Josephus lived between A.D. 37 and A.D. 100. He was a Judahite historian, and because we see the time period that he lived in, obviously he lived shortly after the Messiah's ascension. And he lived up before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. He actually recorded what took place in A.D. 70 when the Romans came in and destroyed or desecrated, I guess, and destroyed the temple at Jerusalem. In his Antiquities of the Judahites, 3, 10, and 5, Josephus says this, In the month of Xanthicus, which is by us called Nisan. Now let me explain that before I move on. The name Nisan is the Babylonian name for the first month of the Hebrew calendar. It's used two times in the scriptures, one in the book of Esther, and I believe the other time is in the book of Nehemiah. I don't have this in my notes. I'm going by memory. Okay. So the word Nisan, or the name Nisan, is used in Scripture. Obviously, we know the Hebrew name for the first month is the month of Abib. Josephus records that there's another name by which this month is called, and it's Xanthicus. And all he's doing is he's referring to the name of a month of another group of people called by Josephus elsewhere in his writings, the Macedonians. Okay, so he's basically saying in the month of Xanthicus, that's what the Macedonians call that month. Then he says, which is by us called Nisan. That's a true statement because of Esther and Nehemiah. Then it says, and is the beginning of our year on the 14th day of the lunar month. Notice the month was based upon the moon. Then it says, or he says, when the sun is in Aries. Notice he mentions the sun now. And then he mentions a constellation, Aries. Okay. Then he says, for in this month it was that we were delivered from bondage under the Egyptians. Everything he said is, is perfectly in alignment with the scriptures. But he's given us some pieces to the puzzle. He's told us that the month of Nisan, which is an alternate name for Abib, is a lunar month. He's told us that that lunar month takes place when the sun, that is the great light of Genesis 1.14, is in the constellation of Aries. Remember back to the video I showed? where it fast-forwarded the sun's path along the ecliptic throughout the 12 months of the year. Well, when the sun was in the constellation of Aries, that was the first lunar month 
on the Hebrews calendar. And that was the month that they were delivered from bondage under the Egyptians. That lines perfectly with Exodus 12 and Exodus 13. So Aries is the constellation of the Ram. This is a picture from a book that I have up here that Kim let me borrow. It's called The Witness of the Stars by E.W. Bullinger. And, and I would encourage anybody that wants to study more deeply on this subject to get this book. You can buy it at Lifeway or, or off Amazon, I'm sure. And you see right here, in the middle, right here, is the path of the sun. Over here, it's written the ecliptic. And then there's certain stars all through here that are connected to make up that constellation of the ram. Here we have another illustration. We have the earth right here in the middle. And then we have the sun following the path of the ecliptic. And then we get up here, and we see the ram. And what that is, is the constellation of Aries again. So you kind of get an idea, another idea in your mind about how these things work. Next, we're going to go to Philo. Philo lived between 20 B.C. and 50 A.D. So his life actually started before Yeshua the Messiah. And he lived during Yeshua the Messiah's life. And then he lived after the ascension of Yeshua to heaven when he was about 33 years old. So Philo spent that life. Philo was actually a Levite, and if I'm not mistaken, was a descendant from Aaron. But he was another historian that recorded how the Israelites of his time kept festivals and laws and, and different things like this. Very educated man. I would encourage you to get the works of Philo. You can buy it at Lifeway as well. Philo stated in his Q&A on Exodus 1.1, he says this, quote, Scripture thinks it proper to reckon the cycle of months from the vernal equinox. The word vernal is Latin for spring. Later on down he says this, For they call the ram, and they is speaking of various civilizations, for they call the ram the head of the zodiac, since in it the sun appears to produce the vernal equinox. Once again, notice that Philo, a B.C. slash A.D. Judaite historian, mentions Aries, or the ram, in relation to the beginning of the Hebrew calendar, to the vernal equinox. Philo also said in his work on the creation, 39, parentheses 116, he said this, And the sun, the ruler of the day, making two equinoxes every year, both in the spring and autumn. The spring equinox in the constellation of Aries, that's the ram, and the autumnal one in Libra. Ellipsis, it goes on down, he says this, at which time men are expressly commanded by law to celebrate the greatest and most popular and comprehensive festivals. Now, what do you think those festivals would be? Passover and Tabernacles, right? Passover, unleavened bread, we could combine them into one. That would be in the spring. And in the fall, it would be the Feast of Tabernacles. And this constellation called Libra, where the sun is at in the autumn, that is a Latin word for scales, measuring scales. All right, when you look at the constellation chart that E.W. Bullinger has in the back, it's a picture of, you know, the old measuring scales by which you measured real money, brother Dean, <laughs> silver and gold and things of that nature. But here follow again in his work on the creation Roman numeral 39, parentheses 116, links the equinoxes 
up with the various constellations or two of the constellations in the heavens. See, what I'm showing is this. There's pieces to the puzzle that, that people have not recognized. That's the pieces of the stars. It's okay to recognize the sun and the moon. We talk a lot about the moon, and the sun is a, the ruler of the day as well. But the stars also play a part in the calendar of Yahweh. They had to. We have two historians who might have known one another, possibly. Josephus might have met Philo in his old age. But we don't know for sure. But we have two Judaite historians that both speak of the constellation of Aries having to do with the first month of the biblical calendar. I think that that's fascinating myself. Now, while the Passover was kept in the constellation of Aries for about 2,150 years, it's not kept in that constellation anymore. And the reason it's not is something known in science called the precession of the equinoxes. Now, this is from the Encyclopedia Britannica, and it states this under precession of the equinoxes. Motion of the equinoxes along the ecliptic caused by the cyclic precession of Earth's axis of rotation. In compiling his famous star catalog, the Greek astronomer Hipparchus noticed that the positions of the stars were shifted in a systematic way from earlier Babylonian Chaldean measures. End of that quote. What precession means is this, is that over a very slow, gradual time period, the sun precesses or goes backwards from that particular season about one degree every 72 years. Or we might say about one day every 72 years. And so that means that the sun, just before it rises on the spring equinox, you would look due east and you would see the constellation of the ram. And you would see that for about 2,150 years. Now, Right before the sun rises at the spring equinox, and if you look due east in the heavens, you'll now see the constellation called Pisces, which is the Latin word for the fish. And there's spiritual significance to that. I'll get to that here in just a second. Now, this next slide, I'm going to show a little video here. This man on the right is a secular author. His name is Graham Hancock. He wrote a book called The Fingerprints of the Gods. The reason I'm showing this video is because he explains the precession of the equinoxes, and he does it in a very good way. So let's watch this video very quickly. Mythological statements that had a lot of numbers in them. Yes. And the numbers were very curious to you. I think the numbers are extremely important. There are, there's a body of myths from all around the world that include what turn out to be expressed in the language of myth and the symbolism of myth, what they, what they capture um, is extremely precise observations of a phenomenon called the precession of the equinoxes, right. uh, which is everybody's heard about the dawning of the age of Aquarius. Um, and uh, most people are aware that we're living towards the end of the age of Pisces right, right now. But what that actually means is that if you stand at any point on the, uh, on, on the earth um, on the 21st of March, an hour before dawn, and look due east, you'll see a constellation sitting on the horizon. 
in the place where the sun will shortly rise. Mm-hmm. And that constellation for the last 2,000 or so years has been Pisces. But okay. because of a wobble on the axis of the Earth, which unfolds very, very slowly and it's very hard to observe, we're gradually tracking backwards. The sun as a pointer against the zodiac is gradually tracking backwards through the zodiac. One and degree every 72 years. One degree every 72 years. That's the key, key figure. And it's moving through Pisces and into Aquarius. And, and the time will come very soon when, as you stand at dawn, looking due east on the 21st of March, the spring equinox, you'll see Aquarius on the horizon of Pisces. Now, to observe this process um, is not easy, uh, and it requires, uh, it requires an, an, an accurate interest in astronomy, accurate astronomical observations, accurate solar observations. And, and for some reason, um, the numbers that relate to precession, as you rightly say, it unfolds at the rate of one degree every 72 years. There are 30 degrees to each house of, house of the zodiac, so that means right. each age is 2,160 years. And since there are 12 houses of the zodiac, that gets you to 25,920 years for what's called the great year, right. when the entire cycle completes and comes back to the beginning again. Um, and and um, it's astonishing that a whole sequence of numbers related to this this particular issue, which really, again, is a relatively recent discovery of our civilization, are found in myths that go back to the dawn of time. Um, well, and, and people should be aware that, of course, cycle changes in 2012. So all this buzz around 2012, it's important to know that there's all these ancient cultures that have all the numbers whose equations resolve to this year 2012. It's very important to know that, and and specifically because the year 2012, um, which I also go into at length in Fingerprints of the God, the year 2012 um, and its importance is signaled to us by the Mayan calendar. Right. Again, if you go in depth into the numerical system within the Mayan calendar, what do you find? You find the number 72, and multiples of the number 72, and divisors of the number 72 all over the Mayan calendar. So it's another, it's another processional object. So it's like a double check. Um, when, when I find these numbers um, locked into architecture or myth or really um, uh, scientific artifacts like the Mayan calendar, mm. then, then I know that I'm dealing with the same system. Mm. And it's very old. And it comes down to us out of the mists of uh, prehistory. And I believe it is a worldwide legacy. Uh, from a lost civilization. Okay, and you can actually go and purchase a, a book uh, from Mr. Hancock. Once again, it's called Fingerprints of the Gods. It's, it's got some good stuff in it, but he explains the precession of the equinoxes there in that video. All right, so what I've got up here now, I'm going to go through a series of slides. I don't know how well you're able to see that, but this is from a computer program that I've got on my computer called Stellarium. That's S T. E-L-L-A-R-I-U-M. And at Stellarium.org, you can download it. You can check all this out for yourself. I actually thought it only went back to 1 AD, but um, I found out this past week that I could backtrack it pretty much just as far as I wanted to. This right here, this first chart up on the screen, is Equinox Sunrise. And, of course, you see the E there. We're looking due east. Okay, this is 2000 B.C. This is what the sky looked like in 2000 B.C., 2000 years before, we'll say, the birth of the Messiah. And if you'll notice right there as the sun is rising uh, due east right there, over here is Taurus. And what's happening is the sunrise on the day of equinox is moving out of the constellation of Taurus and in 
to the constellation of Aries. And for about 2150, 2160 years or so, it rose on Equinox Day in Aries. You could look, once again, due east before sunrise, and you'd see that constellation. Okay? Now, this next chart is Equinox Sunrise, 1000 B.C. All right, so this is 1,000 years after the previous chart, okay? Once again, here's the east, okay? And notice, though, now that the sun is rising, but notice how it's further over to the right. The constellation has precessed by so many degrees over the past 1,000 years. It's still in Aries, and it was all the way up until the first coming of the Messiah. But it will eventually, and we'll see in the next chart, get over here to Pisces, which is the two fish. Here is Equinox Sunrise, 1 A.D. So now we're another thousand years later. And in 1 A.D., I want you to notice how down here, if you can just barely see, it's kind of hidden in the sunlight. Here is Aries, okay? And it's just on the fringe of Aries, and it's moved in. If you could see below that grass right there, it's moved in to the constellation, or at least almost moved into the constellation of Pisces. And then I've got one in the year that we're in. Equinox sunrise, 2011 A.D., that's where we live right now. Notice here, you can't even see Aries anymore, but the sun is rising on Equinox Day in Pisces. And if you'll notice, Aquarius is right over here. And as Graham was saying in his explanation, it will eventually move into Aquarius. And here I have Equinox sunrise at 3500 A.D., which is, what, almost 1,500 years after us, if Yahweh doesn't send his sun back before then. This is what sunrise will look like on Equinox Day. Notice Aquarius, which is the constellation of the man bearing the water pitcher, which also has a biblical significance, I believe, as well. All right, I'm going to show another video here. This is going to be another video explaining the precession of the equinoxes and tying it up with some scripture. Let's listen to this. Now, of the many astrological, astronomical metaphors in the Bible, one of the most important has to do with the ages. Throughout the scriptures, there are numerous references to the age. In order to understand this, we need to be familiar with the phenomenon known as the precession of the equinoxes. The ancient Egyptians, along with cultures long before them, recognized that approximately every 2150 years, the sunrise on the morning of the spring equinox would occur at a different sign of the zodiac. This has to do with a slow, angular wobble that the earth maintains as it rotates on its axis. It is called a procession because the constellations go backwards rather than through the normal yearly cycle. The amount of time it takes for the procession to go through all 12 signs is roughly 25,765 years. This is also called the Great Year. And ancient societies were very aware of this, and they referred to each 2150-year period as an age. From 4300 B.C. to 2150 B.C., it was the age of Taurus, the bull. From 2150 B.C. to 1 A.D., it was the age of Aries, the ram. And from 1 A.D. to 2150 A.D., it is the age of Pisces, the age we are still in to this day. And in and around 2150, we will enter the new age, the age of Aquarius. Okay, so that helps a little bit better to get you to understand about this uh, process of precession. It's an actual or factual process. Now, I want to share some of the spiritual significance to these constellations, okay? And we hadn't read a lot of scripture, so I'm going to read some out of Genesis 22, 1 through 14. Let me read this text here. 
After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am. He answered, take your son. He said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the sacrificial knife, and two and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father. And he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived at the place that God had told them about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of Yahweh called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place Yahweh will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on Yahweh's mountain. That's a beautiful story and how Yahweh provided for Abraham. And if you'll notice in the story, the word lamb is used interchangeably with the word ram. There are two different Hebrew words as well, but they're used interchangeably. First, the son asked, where is the lamb? Abraham says, listen, God himself, he'll provide a lamb. And then you go on and you see that Abraham was just about to sacrifice his son. And not just his son, but it calls him his only son. We might think of what that might be antitypical of, or a figure, or a shadow of, right? Something that was to come when our heavenly father would sacrifice his only son, as John 3.16 and other passages call him the only begotten son. Then he goes down and Yahweh named that, or excuse me, Abraham named that place Yahweh will provide or Yahweh Yireh, which means Yahweh provides. And the reason he named it that was because Yahweh provided the ram in place of Isaac. The ram was what got sacrificed instead of Isaac. And I was looking at this this week and a lot of theologians even believe that this might have took place at the same time that would later be called Passover time. And just as that ram took the place of Isaac, so also did the Passover lamb, or ram, of Exodus 12, take the place of the firstborn in the family. The firstborn didn't have to die when the Passover lamb was sacrificed. And also, even on a much greater scale, when the lamb of Yahweh, John 1.29, that takes away the sin of the world, when he was sacrificed, he took our place on the tree. Now, when this took place, this story in Genesis 22, if you track back through what we're talking about, precession, up until this time period where Abraham and Isaac had this venture right here, uh, commanded by Yahweh, on spring equinox, the sun would rise 
And just before sunrise, you would look due east, and you would see the constellation of Taurus, which was the bull. But at the beginning, when it shifted from the constellation of Taurus into the constellation of Aries, this story took place. I think that's significant because the constellation of Aries symbolizes the ram. Not the bull, but the ram. So, from 2150 B.C., which is when that story just took place, up until 1 A.D., about the birth of our Messiah, we had the sun rising at spring equinox in the constellation of Aries, the age of Aries, the age of the ram. At the beginning of this age, Abraham was commanded to sacrifice Isaac, but we just read the story. He didn't have to. Yahweh provided Aries. Yahweh provided a ram. For about 2,150 years, brothers and sisters, the heavens were predicting Yeshua's first coming as the Lamb of Yah. Every year at the beginning of the biblical calendar, when the sun would rise on spring equinox, just before sunrise, you look due east and you would see the constellation of the ram. For over 2,000 years this took place predicting, not just by the written scriptures, but by the scriptures that are written in the heavens. Remember Psalm 19? Day unto day they utter speech. Night unto night they communicate knowledge. The heavens were predicting the first coming of the Lamb of Yahweh, Yeshua the Messiah. Now, after that, we went into the age of Pisces. That's from about 2 A.D. to 2151 A.D., roughly. Here's a picture of the constellation Pisces. And Yeshua told his disciples in Matthew 4.19, what did he say? He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, this possibly could be the spiritual significance to this constellation, because after the Messiah comes, what does he command his disciples to do? Go out and spread the gospel. And the true followers of Yeshua and his disciples have been spreading the gospel message and fishing for men ever since. And that's a significance to that constellation. And you might can dig into the scriptures, and that's what E.W. Bullinger has done in this book, The Witness of the Stars, and it's phenomenal. He's went in and showed spiritual significance to all of the constellations in the sky and linked them up with, with scriptures one by one. So in Psalm 19, 1 through 2, as we close, it says this again. I've really become to love this text even more. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims the works of of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech. Night after night they communicate knowledge. I hope that after these four lessons that scripture right there comes off the page. I hope that when you look up during the day that you begin to realize it's pouring out speech to you. When you look up in the night you begin to realize it's pouring out knowledge. It's communicating knowledge through the stars and through the moon. Praise Yahweh. So I've got one more video I want to show here as we close, and I think that you'll uh, you'll enjoy. Oh, no, no. 
Praise Yahweh. Amen. Glory be to His name. Let's stand and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we love You so much and we're so thankful. Father, I just pray that we would, Father Yahweh, gain more knowledge about these things, Father. And don't let this be the, the end of, of our study. Yahweh, Father, open our eyes and our heart, Father Yahweh, to receive Your Word. And I just pray right now, Father, that... Uh, we would believe that it is sweeter than honey and the honeycomb and more to be desired than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Uh, Father Yahweh, I pray that we would search after it like that. We thank you and we praise you for your scriptures. Bring us back here next Sabbath to, to fellowship again, to learn and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of, of your Son, Yeshua the Messiah. It's through him we pray to you, Holy Father. Amen.